Welcome back to the Leon Lounge, people. Um, glad you're listening. Uh, last episode, I I talked about um, I talked about Pearl Harbor because it was the anniversary of uh, Pearl Harbor, and uh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna just go ahead and be 100% candid because here in the Leon Lounge, it is a safe space, and we just we talk freely and openly, and it's we don't really mean anything we say. We're just joking around, and it's satire, and uh, I don't know, you know, it's just a place to, to listen and, and have a good time, and I want everybody to have a good time, and I and I imagine that whoever's listening is, is relaxing. Uh, maybe if you're at work, you can relax while you're at work. I listen to a lot of podcasts while I work, and it really helps me get through the day, and I hope it does the same for you, but... You know, I'm new to this. Uh, I'm gonna be honest. I'm new to this whole thing. Uh, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a seasoned podcaster. I'm not. I'm not a comedian. I'm not anything like that. But I've been told by several people that I have a very good speaking voice, and uh, I have a good voice, uh, like a good radio voice, is what I've been told. So, uh, and if you like it, uh, that's that's good, and just keep listening. But. You know, uh, every girlfriend that I've had, anytime you know, and no one talks on the phone anymore. I wish, I wish there was more phone talk between people. And I think that, I think that texting and you know, uh, chatting and stuff like that on the computer is is kind of a it causes a lot of issues. And I believe that if people would get back into just talking on the phone with their uh, crushes or who they're interested in it would fare a lot better for people because then you really it's it's a it's an intimate thing and I be, and I truly believe that that's why podcasts are so popular because you you're feel you it feels like it's it's a one-on-one it feels more intimate it feels like it's something that you know it feels like something that people can relate to because it seems like a conversation and I truly believe that most people that are into podcasts are you know between the ages of maybe 26 and, you know, plus, because those people are used to long phone conversations, you know, long form communication is what they're used to. And I, and I used to, every, every girlfriend that I've had has always told me, they've always said that, you know, they would fall asleep on the phone with me. And I would wonder, and I was like, well, what, I mean, am I boring or whatever? And they're like, no, you're not boring. What, you're very interesting. I, I love talking to you. You always have things to say, and it's, and it's, a very, it's always a very good conversation, but your voice is just soothing. I just, I just like listening to your voice, and, it, and it's calming, and it makes me want to fall asleep. And that's what they've always, they've always said. And, you know, girlfriends would call me and say, hey, you know, tell me a story or tell me, tell me something, and I would, and I would have to, and that really puts me on the spot. You know, I'm like, oh, well, call me out. Why don't you put me on the spot? But that would really put me on the spot. And I would tell them a story. And then, you know, next thing I know, they're, hello, hello. They're not replying. And then I would have to hang up on them. And that's just kind of how it went. And, uh, and I think that that was the first time that I ever had the, uh, and I was probably 17 at that time. That was the first time that I ever had the, the hankering to maybe use my voice and talking and do storytelling as a form of, you know, uh, a way to deliver messages to people. And, and maybe, and at that time, podcasts weren't even a thing. And I used to think, man, 
if pod like I used to think like man I'm I just I love talking to people I love having one-on-one conversations and conversations with you know people and just telling stories and jokes and just I love it it's just such a it's such a very calming releasing feeling to just put your thoughts and your ideas out and and if people don't like them they don't have to listen and if they do then they can continue to listen and that's just kind of the way I think the world is supposed to work I think that I think that, you know, early man, uh, you know, 50% when they weren't running from predators or killing for, you know, food or hunting and gathering, they were sitting around a fire eating said food uh, and telling stories. And then, you know, and then they realized they wanted to immortalize their story. So they would put things on the walls and they would, you know, do things like that. And I, I truly believe that. I think that that is probably the first uh the first so-and-so stand-up comic or whatever was probably a caveman you know and he was telling a story about this giant beast that he just he tracked for days and days and he in the beat and he couldn't find it you know and it was it was just so elusive and then that beast turned out to be his wife you know or something like that i don't know but storytelling is great they say that mark twain was actually the first stand-up comic and uh if you don't know who Mark Twain is, and uh, I'm assuming you do, but if you don't, he was a he was a very dapper dressing um, Colonel Sanders ish type in uh, the American South who um, wrote several books. He wrote, you know, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and, and Huck Finn and several other things. <clears throat> I'm drawing a blank on a lot of it, but his his real name was Samuel Clemens. And he got, he named himself Mark Twain because apparently he worked on some sort of a, a boat or vessel in uh, water where, I, I, this is just what I've heard, that Mark Twain is a sailing reference. And it was like, oh, we're going to achieve Mark Twain or we're trying to get Mark Twain or whatever. And he used that as his stage name and his pen name and his actual name was Samuel Clemens. And he is credited by some as being the first real stand-up comic. He would stand up on a stage and tell stories to people and entertain people. And I, uh, I, I, I like Mark Twain's stuff. I think he was an excellent uh, writer, and uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit dated, if you know what I mean. But you know. Uh, not many people today share any of the ideals that were uh, of the times, but, you know, that's the way that the world works. We evolve and we move on and that's, and that's how we live our lives. And I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to look up some, some Mark Twain stuff and, and talk about it. Um, because the last time, and, and really it's a, it's a shame, it was the last time that I learned anything about Mark Twain was uh, years ago in school, probably 7th grade was the last time, and I'm 32, and that's just, that has just been a while, and uh, it's been too long. So I'm going to try to look up some of his stories. There was a rumor, there was actually a rumor about a stand-up comic who was... Um, if you could so call him that he he was a he was a traveling 
a stand-up storyteller, and he he was apparently in the Civil War times, and he would uh, go on various stages and he would tell stories, and really he would just he would kind of just go up and say things like, "I'm gonna desert this war. Uh, this is I'm not I don't believe in this and whatever," and uh, you know to people at that time. Uh, you know, that was unheard of to, uh, to, to say things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that would make people laugh. Just simply saying you were going to desert and not serve would make people laugh. And that's really showing a sign of the times because now that doesn't seem funny at all. Uh, but you know, we, we take, I think we take for granted the fact that we're allowed to just stand up on a stage and say things. It's, it seems like it's becoming somewhat of a, somewhat of a antiquated thing, and I, and I, and I want it to continue. So, please uh, continue to, please continue to listen. So, <clears throat> old, old Sammy Clems, Samuel Langhorn Clemens Langhorn. What a middle name, jeez. And uh, he was born on November 30th, 1835. And he died on April 21st, 1910. And that is quite a long time, if you really think about it. Anytime you... And, and looking back on us now, we will probably appreciate this as well. Looking back and thinking, wow, you were born in one century and died in another. And that's that's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, Samuel Langhorn Clemens was also knew, I, as I said, he was known by his pen name, Mark Twain. He was an American writer, a humorist, an entrepreneur, a publisher, and a lecturer. And he was lauded as the greatest humorist in the United States. And, uh, William Faulkner, who was also a very famous, uh, literary author, called him the father of American literature. Several novels, uh, that he wrote including The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and its sequel, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, which was in 1876 and 1884. And uh, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn is, is often called the great American novel. And uh, <clears throat> Twain was raised in Hannibal, Missouri, you know, which provided the setting for Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. And he was a he was an apprentice. Uh, he was an apprentice as a printer, and then he worked as a typesetter. And he, you know, he wrote for newspapers, and uh, he he contributed to the work of his older brother Orion Clemens. What a cool name, Orion! That's an awesome name. In fact, I may be naming a future child Orion. And he was a he was actually a riverboat pilot. On the Mississippi River, and then he he headed west to join his brother Orion in Nevada, and that is quite a leap for those times. Um, I'm not a uh, you know I'm not a geographist, but going from the Mississippi Mississippi River to Nevada in the 1800s was uh, quite a trek. That probably took him a couple of weeks, and he uh, he. He often uh, laughingly referred to his uh, uh, failed attempts at mining and journalism. And, uh, you know, 
he finally got something published. It was a humorous story called The Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County. It was published in 1865. It was based on a story that he heard at Angel's Hotel in Angel's Camp, California, where he had spent some time as a miner. The short story brought international attention. Wow. That's a big deal for the time. Kind of, I guess. Uh, it, it, for for those of you, that that would mean he went viral. <laughs> All right. But uh, it was translated also into French, and his wit and satire in prose and in speech earned praise from critics and peers. And he was a friend to presidents, artists, and several industrialists, and including European royalty. Wasps. Yeah, the wasps really liked old Sammy Clems. He earned a lot of money, actually, doing writings and lectures, and uh, he invested it in ventures and lost most of it. Boy, do I know how that goes. And uh, Bitcoin, but, you know, <clears throat> it... it we we had to learn we learned about Mark Twain in school and i remember one time a teacher said that whoever could whoever could tell us his real name would get an automatic a on the next assignment and boy did you hear some i mean people were just calling out random stuff they're just saying like uh you know uh, uh henry it was like she's like uh no and you know they're saying like you know uh Jennifer Lopez, you know, and Christina Aguilera, like they were just every, people were just saying anything that they could, and none of it was right. And uh, I don't think that anybody in the class guessed it right. And she finally had to tell us, and which would never work now because someone would just, you know, would have just their phone would have heard the teacher ask, and then Siri would have answered. So, so he lost all of his money in investments and he filed for bankruptcy and he over he eventually overcame these financial troubles uh with the help of a man named Henry Huddleston Rogers and he paid all of his creditors in full even though his bankruptcy relieved him of having to do so wow you do not hear that much lately i mean you know here's the thing these days everybody's ever you know so many there there are there are capitalists and then there's socialists and there's there's libertarians you know and everybody says I'm a libertarian you know you 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 take your chance and if you lose you lose blah blah but no you know but if you go bankrupt you can just declare bankruptcy and say you know what it happened and I'm gonna take this you know the the government allows you to declare bankruptcy and let's be honest if you started a business and you invested a bunch of money into it. And you had to pay that money, or you took a lot of loans out on it. You had to pay that money back, and the event, the the business went under. And they said you can either pay it back, or you can declare bankruptcy and not pay it back. One hundred and ten percent of people are going to say, uh, "Yeah, I'll just take the bankruptcy. I'm not going to pay it back." But Mark Twain did not do that. Mark Twain actually paid the money back in full, even though he did not have to do so. Wow, that's impressive. Stand up guy. Um, so, and, and a lot of people don't know this, but he was actually born very shortly after the appearance of Haley's Comet, which is spelled Halley's for some reason, and everybody calls it Haley's. And I've actually seen Haley's Comet. I have actually been outside, 
with a pair of binoculars because we didn't have a telescope. And I looked, uh, my grandfather gave me a pair of hunting binoculars to look at Halley's Comet passing over us in our front yard. And I looked at it and I said, wow, it looks like a dot with three lines behind it. That's exactly what it looked like to me at that time. It, all I saw was a, a, a small white dot with three about the length of underscores, you know, like a, like maybe like an asterisk with underscores behind it stacked up three and, you know, it's kind of spread out, looked like a, uh, looked like a, like a, like a badminton ball, you know, is what it looked like. And I was like, wow, that's kind of unimpressive. And he said, no, you really, really need to, like my grandfather was very, he was very big on those kind of things. He was very big on like, this is a big deal. Like I remember uh, my uncle's telling me about how he made them go, go, go inside and watch the moon landing. He said, this is important. This is something that you're going to wish you had watched if you don't. So get your asses in here, sit down, shut up and watch. And he did the same with me with Haley's comedy. He said, this is something that you're going to really remember for the rest of your life. And you probably will never see this comet again. And, uh, I think he was right. I don't, I don't think there's a chance I'm going to see it again. Um, but Mark Twain, because he was born in such close proximity to the appearance of Halley's Comet, he predicted that he would actually die with it as well. So he, he said that and he proclaimed that and he ended up dying the day after the comet made its closest approach to Earth. And I think it only comes around about 75 years or so. So there's still a chance I could see it. I'm probably not gonna. I'm probably not gonna see it. Let's be honest. <laughs> I think I was probably like nine when I saw it the first time. So I got a while. I got a while to wait. I'm uh, just winding down after the day, guys. I'm taking a, a drink here. Um. So Samuel Clemens, <clears throat> he was actually born in a town called Florida, Missouri. Um. And I mistakenly said he was a southern gent, and he's not. He's actually a Midwestern and then uh, kind of a Western guy, and then worked on the Mississippi River. But Florida, Missouri, which is a town I've actually never even heard of. I don't know why anybody would name their their city after Florida. But he was born the sixth of seven children, and that is also true about my grandfather. Interesting. And he was a children of Jane Lampton, who was a native of Kentucky. And his father was John Marshall Clemens, who was a native of Virginia. And his parents met when his father moved to Missouri, and they married in 1823. And uh, uh, Twain's lineage is Cornish, English, and Scottish, like that matters. So only three siblings of his childhood survived. Okay? Orion, Henry, and Pamela. His brother... Pleasant Hannibal died at three weeks of age. So he was a baby. Um, and his sister, Margaret, when, uh, when, when Mark Twain was three, she also passed away. And his brother, Benjamin, died three years after that. So, and this was, this was actually fairly common at this time. You know, there, there, you had your babies at home. And there were no, uh, there were no vaccines and there was no, you know, prenatal care type of things. There were no incubators. There was no, uh, there was none of that stuff, you know? So kids died like this back then and it was just kind of what happened. And, uh, 
<clears throat> I'm sure it was, you know, sad, but it probably didn't come as much of a surprise. So when uh, when Twain was four, his family moved to Hannibal, Missouri. Um, it was a port town on the Mississippi River that inspired the financial town of St. Petersburg in, a, in the book The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Now, at this time, slavery was legal in Missouri, and it became a theme in his writings, um, and that was just the way it was back then, not saying it was right, definitely saying it was wrong, and I'm just reading what it was. So his father, who was a, an attorney and a judge, died of pneumonia in 1847. And like I stated before, they didn't have any modern medicine, so pneumonia was basically a death sentence. Um, you get you know, pneumonia, but pneumonia you get in one lung usually. And, and when you have pneumonia, what they would do back, back then, all they could really do was like, uh, you know, keep, give you a warm tea and roll you over. See, the thing about it back then, the standard procedure for treating pneumonia was to basically turn you over on your sides and then your stomach and then your side and then your back over and over until you just eventually your immune system fought it off and you got better. Now, the reason they would flip you is because pneumonia causes fluid buildup in the lungs. And if you stay on one side for too long, that fluid buildup will, you know, cause bad inflammation and problems on that one side that it's pulled into on your lung. So which is why they flipped you to spread it out over your entire lung. So his father died of pneumonia and uh, Twain was 11 years old at this time. So the following year, uh, Twain left school and after the fifth grade to become, he, he left school in the fifth grade to become a printer's apprentice, like I said before. And then he began working as a typesetter and contribute to many humorous sketches in uh, the Hannibal Journal. And that was a newspaper that his brother owned. Wow. Talk about nepotism. He was 18. He left He left uh, Hannibal and worked as a printer in New York City. So he went on to New York City. He also went to, to Philadelphia. You know what I'm saying? He went over there. Yuns went on to Philadelphia's. You know, when he got him a hoagie. And then he went to St. Louis. And then Cincinnati. And I don't have anything to say about Cincinnati. Never been. So joining, and he actually joined the newly formed International Typographical Union. Uh, don't see a lot of unions where I'm at. I know they still exist. Uh, I think they're probably a pretty good thing. Never been in one. Never seen one. So... He educated himself in public libraries. Well, that's kind of like me. I used to do that. So he went to uh, he went to public libraries and read books and things. And um, I used to do the same thing. I would go to libraries and just I would go to my school library and just you know pick the most wildest book I could find and read it. And uh, I would go to I, my grandmother used to take me to bookstores all the time. And and to this day I still feel the same about them. If I go into like a like any kind of thrift store that has books or I go to a bookstore or whatever, my skin itches. I don't know what it is. It's something, there's like, you know those books, like the books that are not like glossy type nice pages, they're like the the pages that are kind of like, uh, they're almost cloth-like, they're like they're almost napkin-like. They're like a, an off-white color, like a darker color, and they, uh, uh, those, 
those books always make my skin itch. I don't know what it is about them, man. I, I don't know if it's, you know, mites in them or something, but it always bothers me. Anytime I go in a thrift store and stuff and I go in the book section, I'm all, I'm all itchy afterwards. It's like I need a shower. But I don't know. I'm a sensitive, uh, I'm a, I'm a sensitive individual. So he would, uh, and he would find more information than conventional school in these places. And, uh, and that's not hard to do, but yeah, he, he, he wrote a, a story called Life on the Mississippi that describes his boyhood, his boyhood and, uh, stating that there was but one permanent ambition among his comrades and to be a steamboatman that, uh, pilot was the grandest of all positions and I said that wrong but the pilot even in those days even in those days of trivial wages had a princely salary okay so from 150 to 250 dollars a month good god man that doesn't sound like much now but uh, back then that was a lot of money if I had to guess I'd say that was probably like five grand a month or something and uh, no board to pay. Uh, as Twain described it, the pilot's prestige exceeded that of the captain. The pilot had to uh, get up a warm personal acquaintanceship with every old snag and one-limb cottonwood and every obscure wood pile that ornaments the banks of this river for 1,200 miles. And more than that, must actually know where these things are in the dark. Wow, that sounds like a tough job. And uh, the steamboat pilot Horace E. Bixby took Twain on as a cub pilot to teach him the river between New Orleans and St. Louis for $500. That's, okay, wow. Okay, so $500 then was the equivalent of $1,500 in the year 2020. Wow. So that was a lot of money back then. So that means that making $250 a month back then meant that you were making uh about about 8 7 or 8 grand a month. Wow. That's good money. Wish I made that. Uh you know, payable out of Twain's first wages out of graduating. Twain studied the Mississippi, learning its landmarks, how to navigate the currents effectively. Like he knew the the ins and outs of the river and he knew he knew where to where to make the proper changes and that had that probably a paddle boat I'm a, a paddle wheel pumping I'm guessing you know it makes me think of the uh a song by uh oh black water keep on rolling Mississippi moon won't you keep on shining on me that was a good good jam and then uh he he knew how to read the river, and he knew how to shift channels and all, and all the reefs and the submerged stags and the rocks that would, as quoted by him, would tell the life out of the strongest vessel that ever floated. It was more than two years before he received his pilot license. Piloting also gave him his pen name from Mark Twain, uh, the Leesman Cry for a measured river depth of two fathoms. Okay, so a Mark Twain is the leadsman cry for a measured river depth of two fathoms, which was safe water for a steamboat. And two fathoms is only 12 feet. 
Hmm. Interesting. 12 feet is too fat. You think of a fathom. <laughs> like someone says, I can't fathom what you, well, you can't six foot it, dude. What the hell? It's only six foot. I can see six foot and you can't fathom it. But as a young pilot, Clemens served on a steamer AB Chambers. The steamer AB Chambers. And I think that's some kind of sex position. With Grant Marsh, who became famous for his exploits as a steamboat captain on the Missouri River. On the Missouri River, he sailed, and that's a quite a big river, if I, if I do declare. The two liked each other and admired one another, and they maintained a correspondence for many years after Clemens finally left the river. While training, Samuel convinced his, love, his younger brother Henry to work with him, and he arranged a post of mud clerk for him on the steamboat Pennsylvania. And on June 13, 1858, the steamboat's boiler exploded. Now, Henry succumbed to his wounds on June 21st. Oh, that is a terrible, that's a terrible thing. So imagine, imagine that you trained all these years, right, to, to get a, to, to make a good living wage and to be a steamboat pilot, right? And you, you correspond home, probably through letters at this time, and you tell your younger brother, please, Henry, come and work with me. Henry, you wouldn't believe how life on the river is. It is fantastic. Please come and join me. And Henry says, okay. And Henry comes out, and then he's on the steamboat, and he's not on there long, and then the boiler explodes, and Henry dies on June 21st. Wow, of 1858. <sighs> That's sad. So Twain, Twain claims to have foreseen his younger brother's death in a dream a month earlier. I can relate to that. Which inspired his interest in parapsychology. So he was an early member of the Society for... Uh, how do you even say this word? It's not physical. It's psych, cycle, cycle. The Society for Cycle Research, Jeez. psychiatry research, we'll say. And Twain was guilt stricken, and he held himself responsible for his younger brother's death for the rest of his life. But he continued to work on the river, and was a river pilot until the Civil War broke out in 1861 when the traffic was curtailed along the Mississippi River at the start of hostilities. And he actually enlisted briefly in a local Confederate union, local Confederate unit. He later wrote the, stat, wrote the sketch, The Private History of a Campaign That Failed, describing how he and his friends had been Confederate volunteers for two weeks before disbanding. And look, I don't know what this man had in his heart, but I'm guessing that where he was at at the time warranted him joining the Confederacy and not the Union. I mean, had he been a, a captain of a riverboat, you know, uh, 60 miles north where he was at, he probably, he probably would have joined the Union, had different thoughts. I don't know. And uh, honestly, I truly don't know. <laughs> and uh, feel free to correct me because I, I really don't know. I don't know that much about his uh, his ideologies towards why the Civil War was done. I know where I stand on it and... I don't, I, you know, I, I don't think it was a good, it was a good reason to, to have a war. 
was very bad. Very, very bad. His older brother, Orion, Orion Clemens, became secretary to Nevada Territory Governor James W. Nye in 1861. Right? So, Twain joined him when he moved west. The brothers traveled more than two weeks on a stagecoach. Like I said earlier, they traveled for two weeks on a stagecoach across the Great Plains and the Rocky Mountains. Now, that is a trek. Now, imagine the Great Plains. They don't call them great for nothing. They're great. They're huge and wide and open. And then the Rocky Mountains, they don't call them Rocky for nothing. They're Rocky as fuck. They're Rocky fucking mountains. In fact, that should be the actual name. should be the Rocky fucking mountains. And visiting the Mormon community in Salt Lake City. So even then, even then the Mormons were fucking embedded in Utah. Jesus. The early uh, Warren family. Warren Jeff's family in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, Twain's journey ended on the silver in the silver mining town of in the silver mining town of Virginia City, Nevada. Wow. Now that's something. He became a miner and uh he failed as a miner. This man was a he this man was a river rope captain, not a pickaxe swinger, you know. He was not a he was not a gruntsman. He was a well-versed, he was an, a well-versed intellectual at many things. He was not built for physical labor as many people are you know he was not built to be swinging uh swinging hammers all day and chopping rocks he was meant to be either you know um telling stories out on the riverboat and entertaining his fellow you know boatmates and first hands or whatever the hell you call them. but he uh he, he eventually went to work at the virginia city newspaper called the territorial enterprise and that is a really bad name for a Star Trek ship. Um, but he worked under a friend and also a writer named Dan DeQuill. And he first used his pen name here. All right. So this is where he decided he was going to start using Mark Twain as his pen name. And he wrote a humorous travel account titled Letter from Carson. Re Joe Goodman party at Governor Johnson's music. I have no idea what that means. That just looks like a bunch of words. And he signed it Mark Twain. And his experiences in the American West inspired Roughing It, written in 1870 to 71. And it was published in 1872. His experiences in Angel's Camp in Calaveras County, California provided material for the celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County, 1865. And folks, I'm not and, and if you haven't picked up on this, I'm not reciting all this from memory. I did know a lot of these things, but I'm I'm reading this off of uh I'm reading this off of a website. And uh and I'm not ashamed to admit it. And I encourage you all to do the same because reading knowledge is power. So uh, you know, the more you know. So his first his first success as a writer came with his humorous tall tale, the celebrated jumping frog of Calaveras County. Okay? Now that's that's quite a long name, you know. But in 1864, Twain moved to San Francisco as a journalist. He met writers, and he may have been romantically involved with the poet Ina Coolbreath. Wow, I almost said Coolbreath, but I got it. I got it. I got myself. So after after publishing that tale. On November 18, 1865, in the New York Weekly, 
the Saturday Press, bringing him national attention. Okay, a year later, he traveled to Sandwich Islands. Oh my God, I could murder a Sandwich Island right now. An island of just hoagies and subs. Oh my God, that would be great. You know, maybe a... What do you do on Sandwich Island? Do you travel? Do you go from one end to the other and just try all the different types of sandwiches? All right, I'm moving on. Oh, so the Sandwich Islands are present-day Hawaii. Oh my God, they should have stayed the Sandwich Islands. Can you imagine... If people today were saying that, like, where where are you going for vacation? Oh, we're going to Sandwich Islands. Yeah, we're gonna go to the Sandwich Islands. You know, we're gonna we're gonna, we're you know if we're gonna start off on a hoagie, and then we're gonna we're gonna take a boat over to Hero, and then we're gonna move on to a sub, and then finally we're gonna we're gonna stop on old uh, on Club. You know, we're gonna get a, we're gonna do the Club Island, and that'll be cool. And then uh, you know we're gonna take the Mustard River. Back to the uh, back to the Pastrami Hills, and, and it'll be a great view over the uh, you know over the ocean of uh, mayonnaise. But so that was that was the Sandwich Islands, which is present day Hawaii. Wow, I had no idea that that was that that was true. So in 1867, a local newspaper funded his trip to the Mediterranean aboard the Quaker City. Wow. Including a tour of Europe and the Middle East, he wrote a collection of travel letters, which were later compiled as The Innocents Abroad. That sounds cool. It was on this trip that he met fellow passenger Charles Langdon, who showed him a picture of his sister Olivia. Twain later claimed to have fallen in love at first sight. Wow, that must have been some fucking black and white tattered picture out of some dude's wallet. So... Upon returning to the United States, Twain was offered an honorary membership at Yale University's Secret Society Scroll and Key. Oh boy. Now, I don't know if you know anything about these secret societies that go on at these Ivy League schools, but let's just say they definitely wanted to see Twain's uh, riverboat at full mast. So, he went on to actually, he, he, he corresponded, Mark Twain corresponded with Olivia Langdon, the woman from the picture, which he fell in love with, and he, he, she rejected him. She rejected his first marriage proposal, but they eventually married in Elmira, New York in February 1870. Man, this guy had quite a life, dude. If, you know, if someone had had this, if someone had lived this type of life, these days, holy hell, that is quite the, uh, that is quite the story, you know, for someone to have done all of this, traveled, taken all of these ships, and done, and seen all these things, and then just, they, they saw their wife through a picture on a boat in the Mediterranean, and then find, and then corresponded with her, probably through letters tattered and carried on horseback in leather pouches and then she finally gets them and then reads them and then rejects his first marriage proposal. I mean look let's be honest today if you were to try to do this today you would have been labeled as a stalker. She would have been like you saw a picture of me and you're writing me letters? Get away from me you freak. This sounds like something I would do to be honest with you uh, but you know uh, I, I suck. So they got married in Elmira, New York and he courted her and managed to overcome her father's initial reluctance. She came from a wealthy but liberal family. Well, don't they all? Through her, 
I'm kidding, folks. Through her, he met several abolitionists. Um, and he quoted to say, socialists, principled atheists and activists for women's rights and social equality. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. Including Harriet Beecher Stowe. Harriet? Good Lord, I cannot fucking talk. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for, for cussing. Including Harriet Beecher Stowe, Frederick Douglass, and the utopian socialist writer William Dean Howells, where they all became longtime friends, or at least he did with Dean Howells. Well, the Clemensons, the, the Clemenses lived in Buffalo, New York from 1869 to 1871, and he owned a stake in the Buffalo Express newspaper and worked as an editor and writer. Man, this guy was one heck of a... He wrote all the freaking... How'd this guy, how'd this guy eat? He was always writing. So they they were living in Buffalo. Their son Langdon died of diphtheria. They named their son after the mother's maiden name. And he died of diphtheria at the age of 19 months. And like I said, this was just kind of what happened back then. There was no antibiotics. There was no vaccines. There was no hospitals to go and quarantine and stuff like that and, and get better. So, But they had three daughters, Susie. Clara and Jean and they formed a friendship with a man named David Gray who worked as an editor in the rival Buffalo Courier paper and his wife Martha and Twain later wrote that the Grays were let's see the Grays were all the solace he and Livet had during their sorrowful and pathetic brief sojourn in Buffalo and that the Grays were a Delicate gift for poetry. And that the Greys... I, I said that wrong. I'm going to backtrack. Sorry. The Greys' delicate gift for poetry was wasted working on a newspaper. Okay? So, I guess that's a compliment in a way. So, in November 1872, Twain was a passenger on the Cunard Line steamship Batavia. That is a that's a beautiful name for a steamship. The Batavia. Sounds like a... Uh, Sounds like a dessert or something. Which rescued the nine surviving crew of the British bark Charles Ward. Okay. Twain witnessed the rescue. And he wrote to the Royal Humane Society recommending them to honor Batavia's captain and the lifeboat's crew. Oh. So this guy, you know, he was he he uh he cared about giving due where due was, you know, he, he wanted to give due where it was decreed, where it where it needed, you know. And I was a good guy for that. So, so starting in 1873, Twain moved his family to Hartford, Connecticut. This guy's all over the fucking place. Where he arranged the building of a home next door to Stowe. And Stowe being, you guessed it, Harriet Beecher Stowe. And in the 1870s and 1880s, the family summered at Quarry Farm. In Elmira. And for those of you who don't know, summered means that they were wealthy enough to only have to live in a home during the summer. So, and Elmira's in New York. So, the home, the, 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 the quarry the farm was the home of Olivia's sister, Suzanne Crane. And this was in 1874. God, man, this guy did so much in 10 years. Now, Susan had a study built apart from the main house so that Twain could have a quiet place in which to write. Also, he smoked cigars constantly. Well, don't we all? 
and Susan did not want him to do so in her house. Oh, that was that was good. So she so she built him a man cave. This very well may be the first time that a woman built a man a man cave and said, "Get out of here with your stinky with those stinky cigars and 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 your and your scotch and get out there and 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 fucking write and make me some money." So Twain wrote many of his classic novels during his 17 years in Hartford and over 20 summers at Quarry Farm. Wow. You know, I hate when they say things like that. They say 20 summers because if you really think about it, think about how many, think about the summertime or think about the wintertime. Normally summer is more memorable and someone can come to you and say, look, live, live your life. Be happy because you've only got about 60 summers left. I hate that. That really gives me anxiety to think about that. You've only got 60 summers left. Wow. Depending on your age now. If you're a little kid, you've probably got like 75 summers left. But, you know, me, mid-aged, almost, I've only probably got about 40 summers left. And boy, do they come and go. So over his 20 summers at Quarry Farm, they include The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, The Prince and the Pauper, Life on the Mississippi, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, which I've actually read, which is a fantastic read. I, that is such a good story. Um, it's basically about a Yankee who like uh, wakes up one day and he's he's just basically traveled through time and he's in he's in King Arthur's court. Um Clemens and uh Langdon, uh Olivia Langdon, their marriage lasted thirty four years until Olivia's death in nineteen oh four. All of the Clemens family are buried in Elmira's Woodlawn Cemetery. Wow. Okay, so if anybody's in uh I'm guessing that's like upstate New York Go check it out, you know. Um, that could be really something. I'm sure there's some sort of. I'm sure his house is probably preserved, and I'm sure there's something there. And I would, I would love to get up there one day, because the man is fascinating. I mean, just, I mean, just reading about this and all of the things that he did. Uh, that that's amazing, and and not only that, not only his writing and his travels and his you know journalism. He was a he was a big pro- proponent of science and technology. He was fascinated with science, and uh, he was actually a good friend with Nikola Tesla, which I I didn't know that. And the two spent much time together in Tesla's laboratory. Man, these guys, dude. So this so this is basically like the uh, hmm, this is basically like the Joe Rogan and the Elon Musk of the time, you know. One of them is a, one of them's a, a writer and a stand-up, and the other one is an inventor and a, uh, you know, an investor and a and a scientist. So, uh, Twain, Twain, Twain patented three inventions, including an improvement in adjustable and detachable straps straps for garments to replace suspenders. Okay, I was about to say, isn't that suspenders? Um most commercially successful and self-passing scrapbook a dried adhesive the pages needed only to be moistened before use 25,000 were sold huh a self-pasting scrapbook 
Okay, so he made a scrapbook that was self-pasting. And you only had to put a little bit of water before you put the, the, the pictures on there. Okay, pretty smart for the time. Pretty good. Twain was an early proponent of fingerprinting. Wow. Thanks a lot, Twain. Now we can't get away with anything. Kidding. Uh, so he featured it in a tall tale in Life on the Mississippi. Okay, so he talked about fingerprinting in the book The Life on the Mississippi. Wow. And it was a central plot element in the novel Puddinhead Wilson. Never heard of that. Uh, I've heard of Puddin' Pops. Okay, let's move on. Twain's a uh, Twain's novel, a, Con- a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, features a time traveler from the contemporary USA using his knowledge of science to introduce modern technology to Arthurian England. Yeah, it's a fantastic read. It's really good. Um, this type of historical historical mi- manipulation became a trope of speculative fiction as alternate histories. Wow. Hmm. And uh, apparently he also met Thomas Edison. In 1909, Thomas Edison, who I'm sure everybody knows that name, he visited Twain at Stormfield, his home in Reading, Connecticut, and filmed him. Part of the footage was used in The Prince and the Pauper, 1909, a two-reel short film. It is the only known existing film footage of Mark Twain. There you have it, folks. The only... Now, here's the thing. You got Nikola Tesla, right? So, so Twain spent much more time with Nikola Tesla. They were friends. They invented together. They spent time in the lab together. I'm sure they did other things. And then Thomas Edison comes along. So Thomas Edison, also an inventor, filmed Mark Twain with a fucking camera and got the only footage existing ever of Mark Twain. Wow. That says a lot about Thomas Edison. Because Thomas Edison, Thomas Edison was about Thomas Edison was about doing things that people would that people would see and remember, and Nikola Tesla was about inventing things and doing things that were you know groundbreaking. You know, of the two, I'm more of a fan of Nikola Tesla, just to be honest. You know what I'm saying? And that's just how it is. And hopefully, you learned a whole lot about Mark Twain in this, and hopefully, it was entertaining. And uh. If you're like me, you're very interested in, I'm very interested in history, and I'm very interested in the comedy of it, and uh, I'm going to wrap this one up, but please don't hesitate to pass this on to someone and uh, listen, and I hope you enjoyed it, and I'm going to wrap this one up.